This is the Power of Promise podcast with Dr. Brad Miller, episode number 125, Leaving a Legacy of Wisdom, with the author of The Wealthiest Gardener, John Seferic. It's about me getting myself back to a healthy level of, of my brain and my mind so that I can make a more courageous decisions, and that's what it's going to be all about now. It's Hi, this is Doug Fitzgerald, author of One Shot, One Life. Thanks for listening to Pathway to Promise podcast with Dr. Brad Miller, helping you to overcome adversity to achieve your life of peace, prosperity, and purpose. You're on the Pathway to Promise with Dr. Brad Miller. Brad believes every person has a God-given, promised life of peace, prosperity, and purpose, and that you must have a plan and a guide to get there. The Pathway to Promise podcast not only is your guide through the wilderness of depression and disappointment that stand between you and your promised life, but also brings you insights and direction from inspiring, successful thought leaders who have transformed their lives. Welcome to the Pathway to Promise. Now, here's Brad. Wisdom. We accumulate knowledge and hopefully wisdom throughout our life. And it is our opportunity and our responsibility to pass along our shared learning along to our heirs, our children. We do that well. It's called leaving a legacy. Hello, good freak, good people. This is Brad Miller from the Power of Promise podcast, where it is our opportunity to share wisdom and knowledge with you in order to help you overcome adversity in your life to achieve peace and prosperity and purpose. Our website is pathwaypromise.com. We've got plenty of back episodes of our podcast to keep you entertained and informed and to impart some wisdom into you. Imparting wisdom, developing a process, developing systems in order how to handle life. That's what we learn to do. And passing it along to our kids, our children, is something that's important that we do as well. Our guest today on The Power of Promise is John Sephoric, who, in his book, The Wealthy Gardener, is able to impart lessons of prosperity between a father and a son, interweaved with a great story about a gardener who made good and prospered. It's an interweaving of a great parable, which is a great form of teaching. And I love that. Being a Christian, I use Christian parables often, biblical parables parables often to do my teaching. I want you to hear this lesson today. John is a self-made man who had a business, and he had business problems and issues, and he had success. He made it a goal to become financially independent by age 50, and he did just that. But he tells the story of all that he went through in that process and all the lessons learned in the form of this book, the wealthy gardener, as he shares his wisdom with his son. There's some good stuff here. I'm not going to say much more about it because I really want you to hear from John himself as he unpacks a lot and goes deep into the heart of the matter of what means what it means to share great personal wisdom. Let's get into our conversation with the author of wealthy, The Wealthy Gardener, John Seforic, right now. 
And our author today helps us to do talk about some of this integration between family life and our financial health. His name is John Seforic. He's the author of The Wealthy Gardener, Lessons on Prosperity Between a Father and Son. And he uses the metaphor of a, of a parable about a gardener and the motivation of his of relationship with his son to teach us some great lessons in life. John, welcome to the Power of Promise podcast. Brad, thank you so much. And let me just say peace, prosperity, and purpose. I love that. So fantastic title for your podcast. Yes. Well, I'm a big believer, John, that uh, we all have a uh, God-given promise life, and I like to call it of peace, prosperity, and purpose, but we've got to need a pathway to get there. We need some help along the way, a guide and resources because we can get stuck in life. And I think what you do is help us get unstuck in some very important ways. You, uh, you've written this book called The Wealthy Gardener. You have been a person who's been fortunate in your own life and business and, and financial uh, well-being and so on. And you also are the father of, of a son. And uh, the purpose of our podcast is to help people overcome adversity. But I would like for you to talk about, about where you came from that got you to this point of integrating this parable to your own life with your son to teaching life lessons, including ones about financial prosperity. What got you here? Where did you come from? Was there something that you had to overcome? Oh, God, yes, uh, certainly that's my story. I don't, I don't think you can write a book about a subject unless you first lived that subject. And my book is about financial prosperity, financial freedom. So where do I come from? I come from a, a small rural town outside of Pittsburgh. You know, I was born and raised in the middle class. I went to a Catholic grade school and a Catholic high school. And really, I was just like every other middle class kid in the blue collar, you know, Pittsburgh Steeler uh, atmosphere growing up in the 70s. I really went through three transitions, Brad. Uh, the first one, you know, you talk about a book and the, the need for a book and how it can help people. The first transition of my life, there's no question about that, was at the age of 20, I read a book uh, called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, which just educated me on a whole new way of looking at money and financial achievement. And it really empowered me. It gave me ideas that weren't part of my culture. And then that just set me up for uh, a hard decade because I still, I knew what I wanted. I had a good ed- education from that book, but I graduated from a chiropractic college down $200,000 in student debt. I went into practice and I, I worked that for four years. I moved across the country. I'm, I set up another one. We had kids, we had a family. It's just like everybody else, but we were tired and we were struggling and, and the twenties were tough. So yeah, I would say that it comes out of the, the need for me to write that book was a lot of struggle during my 20s because uh, I was unprepared coming into it. At the age of 30, I set a goal for financial freedom. I've had enough. Uh, you know, there's a story about that, that whole part of it, but I'll just to cover the basis. Uh, the goal was for financial freedom. I set it to be financially free at the age of 50, and I achieved that goal. I retired, and I wrote my own book of philosophy uh, of everything that I had been through everything I learned, everything that I'd studied from other people, you know, the best of the best over the years. It was just so important for me to teach my kids so they'd be prepared coming into adulthood. You know, like you said, the, the financial splash, the, uh, the integration of life when you come into it and it's serious all, all of a sudden. And we all have a financial condition and life is a lot better when you win that financial condition. Mm, that's awesome. And so you were influenced by 
these other folks, these other writers, these transformational writers in your life, and you applied it into the business world to which you were successful. But life seemed to change or take a bit of a turn when you decided to impart your wisdom upon uh, with your son. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you would like to talk about how that part came about a little bit in terms of how that became an important part of this book that you chose to write and the, uh, the concepts that, that you've shared with us through, through your book. Sure, Brad. I, I, there's, there was several factors that came together at my age around the uh, 49 year. I, I reached my goal of financial freedom, so I retired. Within a few weeks, uh, my brother was in a car wreck and got killed. At the same time, my son was just about, he was looking toward, you know, getting out of college. And so, you know, you certainly, uh, you, you face those kind of life situations. You know, I know one of your, one of the things you talk about is death and it certainly makes life a lot more real to you. And it made me face my own mortality and what, what am I going to leave behind to my kids? And so you know, there's no question. I'd be lying if that wasn't a factor into it. Uh, so thinking about my own limited time on this earth, thinking of what I've accomplished and what I struggled with over the last 30 years, thinking that my kids were coming out to struggle the same way. To me, it was just a very deeply meaningful um, pursuit that at least they can take off and they can make their own mistakes in life. But why would I not as a father want to convey to them what I've learned over 30 years? Why would I not do that? That's really the question. I always get the question, why'd you do it? And the, real question is, why would I not do that? I have the ability to, I have something to, uh, to express to them. Maybe, just maybe, they'll be more prepared coming into life than I was. So that was the, the depth of what I was after at that point. And why the wealthy gardener, you know, that's just, I wanted, to, I wanted a story that would really drive home, you know, a lot of timeless principles and a person could experience the winning and the losing like I did, you know, it will drive it deeper into your subconscious mind if you have the experience of it. And that's the, I think it's the power of a parable, the power of story. You know, the greatest teachers of all time talk through stories. And I, I was after that. I, I wanted just not another book. I didn't have the energy for that. I'm too old for that. I wanted a big book. And I, that yeah. was what I was after. So it was just a bullet point list of, okay, here, I mean, those principles are integrated into your work, but it wasn't just that boom, 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 here they are. Here is they are in this parable. And give us just the, the kind of the core of the idea of your parable here for our listeners so they can have the, the bit of understanding of the, of the metaphor of the gardener. Uh, so the name of the book is The Wealthy Gardener, Lessons on Prosperity Between Father and Son. And yeah, I guess if you describe the main character, it's an old man who's nearing the end of his life. Uh, he started out in his teenage years with a small vegetable garden, and he grew that bit by bit, year by year, decade by decade, by putting the hours of his days to best use. And it's all about uh, everything I've ever learned along the way. You know, he, he, there's a cast of characters there, and I wanted people to experience the possible good consequences and the possible bad consequences, just like life. So the wealthy gardener, he's teaching a bunch of uh, delinquent boys. He's, he's, there's a lot of characters in the, in the story where you can wrap this story of all the timeless principles around a central figure and really try to drive home the, the timeless lessons. I was just after a, a timeless book. I really wanted that the, the things in life that don't change, you know, I, I understand them. There's always going to be changes with the way we make money, 
but there's certain timeless principles that do not change. And that's what I wanted to drive home to my son. Let's start with the base of that. So I, I wrote a parable like that and I probably just did a, a terrible job of butchering everything you just asked. <laughs> no, you're, you're all, you're, no, that's okay. That's, I don't want to hear, hear yeah. about the, the story, how the, the parable integrates your life lessons. And yeah. it also is, you know, we know the, the foundation here is that you're, it's a story that you're really being telling to your son. So it has an intimacy and a, a f- familial uh, aspect of it, which is pretty awesome as well. And I appreciate that. You know, I could say this, that I, I couldn't have written it, Brad, without my son. I, I don't want to give myself too much credit because I went, after I retired, I went into my basement and I started writing in, in only the way a father could if he's writing to his son. It mean, it was deep and it was 50 hours a week and it was three years long. And I might as well just handed a ticket of my life saying, here's three years, here's the book for it. But I couldn't have probably crossed that bridge without the conversations he and I had over and over and over while it was being written. And he influenced it a lot in that way. So it was, you know, again, keep in mind, it's between father and son. We were kicking ideas back and forth. Mm -hmm. And it was just an amazing three years where it was, we were able to talk about what works, what doesn't work. And I was trying to just inculcate him, you know, about what worked for me. Yeah. Useful. Well, it sounds like he's a deep, introspective uh, young man in his own right, and that's uh, that's cool. He brought a lot to the table. You know, we we forget that Steve Jobs was about 21 years old when he founded Apple, right? My yeah. son was 20 years old uh, at that time, so we sometimes don't give the young ones enough credit. They just don't have enough power in life yet, but they're pretty capable at times. So yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I'm blessed to have a 22 year old son and a 25 year old son. I learned a lot from them. One of them is doing finishing up his college career in a awkward manner. He's a senior in college, but because of the situation we're in right now with this crazy virus, his college, like many have, is done. He's done as a senior right now. So he's having to deal with some of the grief of that and some of that kind of thing and the uncertainty of finding a job in his given career, this type of thing. I have another son who is a hospice uh, worker. He works in a hospice setting right now. And there is certain, you know, drama that's taking place in, in that world. So I'm very, I'm learning lessons from them. I'm, all kinds of ways and appreciate that as long as, as well as my uh, daughter and granddaughter for that matter. But uh, what I'd like to talk to you now a little bit, John is about um, these lessons that you learn and the taught and how they can be brought into bear into our present situation. I just need to talk about that a little bit. You and I are talking in March of 2020 and we are in the middle of, what just would have to be considered a just a worldwide drama or trauma of this coronavirus thing. And there's a lot of folks who are just uh, traumatized and scared to death about their life. And that includes their finances, includes their health, and includes these kind of metaphors of what is life all about. And there are people scared to death. And what are some of the, uh, we can get into the financial stuff in just a minute, but what are some of the life lessons that you think you have learned because you went in a deep dive in your own life? What are some things that you've learned that you think might be helpful to people who are just traumatized by this uh, situation that's going on in the world right now? You know, Brett, it's a good question. And I think that I, I never know if there's a hand of fate behind things. And I sometimes suspect there is, but I am so well positioned right now to help people in this crisis because of the past year, the past three decades of struggle in my own life. And I don't want to delude myself into thinking that I I'm the one who's going to help everybody. I, 
at the same time, I have something to say. And it's been, it's exactly about this right now. It's about helping people get out of their financial conditions. And so there's no question we, we're in an unprecedented historic time. We're living history right now. You know, there was the stock market has been down four closed four times in the last eight days. Uh, biggest drops ever, you know, since 1987, it's just staggering. I went to Walmart this morning and you can feel the fear in people. They're looking at you. Yes. So what do we do? Uh, there's no question. I, I think that always, that, see, do you see the inherent question that I just asked and what you just asked, what do we do? Yes. What we think is that when we get a stimulus, the question is, what do we do as if, we now have to respond. So what do we do? We always forget there's like option A, B, C. We always forget about D. And D is do nothing. Sometimes you just got to sit like, like a statue on the end of a, at, the, at the end of the beach while the hurricane comes through. And you just got to not move. Like that's a principle sometimes. Sometimes the best action in the world is to do nothing. Uh, you'll see people right now selling stocks, doing all, they're doing, doing, doing. That's not always the best idea in the world. Another time, another thing that we, I, I think is so advantageous in my own life, the, these times, nobody wants to go through this suffering that we're going through right now, but I'll tell you what, what is one of the best things that comes out of it. It opens our ears. It opens our mind to learning. Uh, for the first time, you, you, when things are going good, we never learn a thing. So one of the principles of life is to, to, take a deep dive and actually face this kind of uh, situation. Uh, another principle of the book is, is what I call the straight edge. Uh, it, what I see is a lot of people will try to get away from this. this, this stress. They can't take the stress of it all, right? It's so uh, I say face it. I say sit there. Learn the lessons of the times. It's so important. If, forget about the coronavirus. This is just going to prepare us for other times. It's coming. There will be other times out there. This is one time. We have to sit in it. We have to feel it. We can't run from it. And people run through from, from different ways. They watch TV. They buy stuff. They, they drink their faces off. They, they just do whatever they can to get out of the feeling of stress. Whereas that feeling of stress could be some of the greatest lessons we'll ever learn. You know, the discontentments of life show you what maybe needs changed in your life. So there's so many things like what can you do? Mindfulness. Mind your thoughts. That is an option. One of the best things you can do. What I can do is, is read positive things every day. Come on your show. You're talking about really cool things. We, it's about our attention. What do we give our attention to? Because I can tell you what, what the media wants us to do right now. It wants us to, they, they're using this as a great opportunity for them to pull us in and say things like America's closing. One of the headlines I read this morning, America's closing, what to do about it. Mm -hmm. Well, who doesn't get pulled in by that? But do you want to give your attention to that? Or is this time to give your attention to something that might give you an internal peace? Uh, uh, you know, not that you're sticking your head in the sand. I'm not saying you are, but you, but the, the, the fear gives, of us some, gives us some new opportunities. I believe if we take advantage of them, uh, what I'm hearing you say and help me see if I'm reflecting with you correctly. You're saying be patient. Don't panic. Uh, perseverance is important here. That this is a storm that uh, will pass one way or another. And, but also there may be some opportunities here. There may be some opportunities, some unique opportunities that we may not have uh, paid attention to before because we're comfortable. We're passive. Our, the stock market is going up, you know, I don't know, over the last 
20 years or since the uh, uh, 09 crash, uh, been going pretty steady for 10 years or more. Uh, a lot of comfort, a lot of things going okay for us and complacency, you know, you know, breeds a sense of, uh, of uh, not being prepared enough. And so it gives us opportunities. So as I don't know if I'm reflecting correctly with you there, but that's what I'm hearing you say. And then what I want us to take the next step then is what do we, how can we speak into the lives of our listeners here in some ways here? But first of all, did I reflect back with you relatively accurately what you're trying to say there? I think so. I think so, uh, Brett. It's about, it's about choosing your intention in life. And I think intention and attention, that's, that's what you can control right now. What are you putting your attention on? And it can, it can make you or break you right now. Your attention is so powerful in a time like this. Mm-hmm. What's your, what are your, where are your eyes at? What, what's your attention on? What are you giving your energy to? Yeah. That's, I think, what we can control. In terms of uh, dealing with this adversity, this adverse condition that we find ourselves in, one of the ways I like to liken uh, adversity is that uh, we talk about adverse conditions like weather. You know, when the weather is there, there's nothing anybody can really do about the weather, is there? It's going to happen. So you have to weather the storm, those adverse conditions. And so that's where we're at right now because we do have the very unique the situation. This adverse condition is literally a universal experience through the whole world. But for us, I just want us to think about how we can take control of some things that we can control, including our inner life. Among the things on your website, you talk a little bit about the uh, listening to the still inner voice. Mm-hmm. And I'd like for you to speak to that a little bit in terms of uh, the power of uh, connecting to something beyond yourself, either something spiritual or something, some inner strength. Tell me a little bit more about how you go to an inner place, either spiritual or otherwise, in order to uh, help you to cope. You know what, Brad, I can, I can say this with the best example. That is probably one of the hardest situations of my life. You know, and that's what hard situations do. They prepare you for things, the, the next one coming. Uh, this is nothing like the hardest situation in my life to me. The hardest situation in my life was when I was facing an audit once in my chiropractic business. It was an unfair situation in that what they're doing is checking over your, your notes. Okay, long story short, they're not looking for any illegalities. They're looking for note-taking problems, and they come back and they'll, they'll always, uh, nobody's ever won one, all right, in the state of Pennsylvania. So they came to me, because I was a successful chiropractor at the time, and they came to me, it was my turn for the audit, bad luck of the draw, and I was staring at the barrels of this, of, of this audit. Now, the average audit takes $150,000 from you. And I was a lot busier than the average chiropractor back then. So I'm looking at maybe $300,000 they are going to come after. And nobody has ever won it. Okay? My family's young then. I have one source of income, and it's coming at me. I'm about to lose it, and I'm about to go bankrupt. I'm about, due to no fault of my own. So now what do I do? I'll tell you what I did my hair fall out. I, I, I had my head patches of alopecia. I worried like crazy. I did everything wrong. I about fell apart. I met the stress that my body could not take anymore until the day came when I just acquiesced and acquiescence is the reluctant acceptance of what is. And that's where we find ourselves right now. We don't have to like it, but we have to reluctantly accept what is and once we come to grips with that, there's, there's a peace that comes within us. And, you, and I can tell you from my own experience back then, I could 
there's one thing that nobody could take from me. And that was, I, 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 I call it an inner light. They couldn't touch this, whatever that is, the core spiritual presence within you. They could take my money. They could take my kids' college education. They could take my house. They could take my business. I could be stocking shelves at Staples or Walmart, and I could be in tough. But you know what? I decided there's no way they have the right. They can't get at that inner light. And that inner light is my, my love of family, my love of others, my spiritual presence. You can't take that away from me. I will survive. I will move on. And when you know that's the worst case scenario, there's a peace that comes upon you. And you sometimes got to go through those times where they can just strip everything from you to realize what's really left now. And that's what's really left now. That being said, once we went through the audit, I was the first person in the history of audits to pass. Wow. But, I, but boy, I tell you. How I cool faced, is that? Yeah. Face the cliff there, bro. But, you know, I believe from what you're sharing with me here now, John, that even if it had gone the other way, you'd been okay. I had acquiesced to the worst case scenario. And if it did go the other way, it wasn't going to steal my joy. I could still have the capacity to love my family. I would still go on. I would still breathe the next day. They couldn't make me bitter they couldn't do it. I could have been okay the other way. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's, that's awesome because that is so important. It's such an important lesson here. I hope everybody hears this about we do choose how we react to when adversity comes. You know, one of my uh, books that just informed me that I read all the way back in high school was Man's Search for Meaning by Victor Frankl, who was, mm-hmm. a, who was a survivor of uh, uh, concentration camps and I've, uh, in uh, Nazi Germany. And, uh, and anyhow, uh, he said, you know, you choose your meaningfulness in life. You choose that. It is a choice. You choose whether to be bitter or be better. You choose whether you're going to be absorbed in what you don't have or whether you're going to uh, you know, look for opportunities for what you, you do have. And so that's what I want to get some more insight from you, John, about, about how you moved ahead, what you do have. Well, one of the things you did have was some pretty significant relationships within the family, at least, that I'm hearing you say. And I want you to speak a little bit to the power and the role of loving and caring relationships in life transformation. Let's talk about that a little bit, about relationships, how they fuel transformation. You know, Brad, it's one of the things I struggled with all my life is, you know, I, I, because you love your kids and as a father, you're really uh, stuck at a situation where a, you love your kids so much and your family and your wife and everything that you want to stay with them. But because you love them so much, you also feel the pull to protect and provide for them. And we're always pulled in these two different directions. The protection and providing pulls you outside the door and makes you work a lot. The other side pulls you into the house. And so, you know, I've, I've always wrestled with this one, the balancing act between those two things. And I'm a big believer is that you, to get an extraordinary result in life, you have to sacrifice. You have to sacrifice. You have to give up a little bit of that work-life balance to achieve things that aren't normal, aren't ordinary. And so in terms of relationships, you know, a big one to me was one of the life lessons that I had to really accomplish and clear was speaking to my family, uh, speaking, communication. I think that's where sometimes we go wrong. 
they will understand sacrifice. It's up to us, the ambitious people, the ones that are providing. It's up to us to speak to them about it. Sometimes we have to admit our fears. Sometimes we have to admit our, our dreams, how this helps the whole family unit. When I did that, they're on board. They understand the sacrifices. And you know what? I'm, I'm leading by example then. So when you talk about relationships, I just, I am just, I mean, I worship the ground of communication. My kids saw a transparency with me that very few kids will understand. I treated them like equals when they were 12 years old. And I said, guys, this is why I'm, I'm nervous right now. This is why I'm working extra right now. See what, here, here's my problems. This is why I'm going to go in the basement. I'm going to write on a pad of papers for two hours and try to figure this out. And you know what? When they're coming through it now, they're in their, their 20s. They've already experienced these things. They, they know this is normal. So did they, are they freaking out by this thing? No, they've been through this. Uh, they've been through 2000 with me, the, you know, the big drop of 2000 uh, stock market drop. They've been through it with 2007. I communicated the whole way. This is the third time my kids experienced this and they're young. So mm. yeah. I believe in communication when it comes to family. That's the stuff. Yeah. And that's, and that's, if you're going to have, if you're going to be able to deal with the adversity that you mentioned just in the, in your, in the economic setting that you're referring to so many people withdraw and don't talk about it and don't uh, make connections and they get stuck and they get into a spiraling situation of panic and fear. And of course we live in a time when there is a, like you mentioned the fear at Walmart, part of the fear at Walmart is that people going after the toilet paper and the, uh, the hand sanitizer, which is sold out is because of that fear that there's not going to happen and not going to happen. And I just like you to speak a little bit now to the fear that some people are feeling and particularly in the financial realm, this is your area of expertise, but we are talking about how this is all integrated with uh, spiritual life and family life and relationships and being communication and all that kind of thing. But J John, we're in a situation where there are a lot of people fearful, you know, they people lost their jobs, right? People lost their jobs or livelihood. Their 401ks are going away that the stocks that they have invested in or their company invested in, you know, have taken whatever it's been a 20 something percent hit here recently. And people are just scared to death. I'd like you to speak a little bit to some disciplines that people can have to help hold their life together including in the financial realm, but what are some things they can learn from you about reaping, you know, I know you've got several principles in your book, reaping what you sow and earning things and so on. Just talk to us a little bit about disciplines, about habits, about practices that people can have to bring some sanity into their life when they're kind of out of control here. Absolutely, Brad. I mean, it really, I, the, the book is about, and I, I'm not, I'm not trying to plug a book, but it's, it's, it's my philosophy of life. Right. So uh, what I'm saying is that I, I really believe that people have the, they have the power in life if they choose to grab that power you know, over themselves, it's all an internal job. And so if you're asking me about what, what they can do at this uh, time in their life, uh, you know, I, I'm surrounded by quotes in my home office here quotes hanging all over my walls from the three decades of me trying to, you know, struggle and trying to get what I wanted in life. Well, why quotes? Uh, you know, the joke is the running joke in my family is I'm so dumb. I can't remember a quote. So I hang it in front of me. Uh, they're all, they're hanging all over here, probably 50 of them on my walls. Well, the, to me, it's important to keep things in front of my eyes. 
that it, that just feeds through to your brain, to your soul. So yeah, you, you put things in front of you. Uh, it's your choice of what you give your attention to. Again, there's times in my life when I was so defeated, I'd walk around this room here and I would just read one quote after another, after another. Why? I've read them before because I need a tune-up right now. I need to pick me up. That was one of the things I've always done is I read and I studied the lives of exceptional people, people that are far greater than me. That's a choice. You can use an hour doing that. And you know what? Sometimes what we try to do is not worry. That doesn't work because not worrying is thinking about worrying. It's thinking about not worrying. It's like, it just becomes a cycle. You have to fill your mind up with something to do, to give it. What is, where's your attention? Another thing for me, I I can tell you that one of the most important things that you can do, people are always saying, what can I do? I feel the fear. I feel, you feel small. You feel overwhelmed. You feel helpless. You're out of the control of the situation. What you can do is go for a walk. What you can do is exercise. There is nothing in this world that will just change your state mentally, physically, and sleep better than exercise. Just get yourself in motion there sitting there is, is, can be the biggest problem. And it's the last thing you want to do when you're all worried and you're down and depressed. And you know what? I'm speaking from experience. It, that's how you snap out of it. You've got to do something different. You know, call it prayer, call it mindfulness, call it meditation. There's practices where you sit, sit alone and you calm yourself. You know, you, it's a choice to feel that presence we talk about every day. People say, well, I don't feel attuned into anything right now. Guess what? There's a lot of people. My best friends are, are all very spiritual people, and they practice that. It's, it's a daily practice. They have devotionals. They give their attention to that. So there's, there's, it's a choice of what you focus on. I know I've said that before, but I cannot. It's that. It's what, where you put in your energy, your time, and your attention. There are a lot of positive things right now. The, uh, I don't want to pop okay. my book. Well, I'm just going to push up against you just a little bit. What about that person, that restaurateur who's lost their restaurant or in danger of losing their restaurant? And they're saying, that's all good, John. What you're sharing is all good. But, uh, you know, how do, I, how do I deal with my day-to-day situation here? What are some ways that I can deal with the pressure I'm feeling right now? How did they, the, the person lost their business? Yeah. You know, Brad, that's a tough one. Uh, you know, you've, how do you how do you deal with it when you lose your livelihood, and you have to then try to find some subsistence that's not due to your own hands? You can't go to unemployment at that point because you have your own business. Uh, I understand that. I think you know you go back to this serenity prayer. Uh, I really think it comes down to that. Where what can you control? Again, what can that person control? Uh, I guess if that's me, I was on the verge of losing my business. I would be. I would be really unhappy about that. I wouldn't, I'm not telling you to be thrilled about a bad situation, but then I would also be looking around to try to find it to replace that situation. Of course, Uh, there's no, there's no happy answer there, but I would tell you this, that sometimes you, when you come to realize the worst case scenario is not death, uh, you realize that the setbacks occur in life, but they're really not failures because you're not dead yet. And, I've been there. I've been on the brink of that numerous times in my life. And if I'm not going to die, uh, this is a setback. I'm not saying it's easy, bro. Uh, no. that's, a tough, that's a tough one. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, I just know that some folks are in these positions now and, and we, uh, I love what you're giving the integration here of family and faith and of the financial wherewithal within the context of a parable. I think it's awesome. 
And uh, we need to go to this deeper place in order to help us to deal with this situation we're in. But we're just in this kind of this unique situation as we speak right now with this pandemic thing that's going on, which is impacting in a very unique way, literally everybody. So we have, so we cannot be dependent upon the external. What I mean by that, dependent upon the government to save us or for anything else to save us, we've got to go to a deeper place and integrated place. And I think uh, you're helping us do this here with your, with your book, my friend. So. All I can tell you, uh, Brad, is that if, you know, there's a saying that if, if you take a man's confidence, you can take nothing else. So it's really about trying to bring back a person's confidence. That, that's where it would be for me. If I was in that situation and would I say, well, yeah, that sounds like it's, it, you might think that going for a three mile run for me might sound like it's just a distraction. I would disagree with that. It's about me getting myself back to a healthy level of, of my brain and my mind so that I can f- make a more courageous decisions. And that's what it's going to be all about. And I would fill up my schedules uh, every day with things that might move you forward. And the problem is you, I know you deal with depression. The problem is, is that whenever you get so overwhelmed by these problems that you go, people tend to shrink back into inactivity and it just worsens and it worsens the spirals. And you got to break that somehow one way or the other and exercise. When I say that, I don't mean it frivolously, no, I mean, that's one way to, one way to bring back your strength in your mind, strength of mind so that you can then act in more empowering ways. Yeah. Well, I love it. I love it. I love it in the sense of, uh, you know, taking some action uh, to connect with something deeper and higher than yourself. And that's some disciplines in your life. You mentioned exercise and some other, other things that, that you do. And I love what you shared here today about your commitment to communication. Uh, with your own son, you the metaphor and with the, the communication with says the metaphor, the parable, the storytelling of the uh, of the gardener, some good stuff there. And I just want to encourage you to be uh, encourage our listeners here to have the power of promise to use the wealthy gardener as a metaphor to help generate conversations that matter in, in your life. Good people. That was John Seforic. Great conversation we had with him here on the Power of Promise podcast. I'm Brad Miller, and it is my privilege to help you to unpack great books and great teachings like those from John Seforic into your life to help you to have some tools in your life to overcome any adversity that you may have. You know, John speaks a lot about building wealth. You know, one of the great adversities people have right now is the challenge to their livelihoods through this terrible pandemic we have going on. I know there were some helpful things that you heard in this in this our, our, our conversation today that could speak into your life and your personal situations. But I want you to hear one more thing. I want you to take one word with you if you get nothing else out of our time together t- uh, today. And that's the word story. See how John, in his book, and I've been digging into it here recently. He sent me a copy. Uh, very nice of him to do that. In his book, he interweaves the story of sharing with his own son his philosophy and his wisdom through the metaphor, the story of the story of the wealthy gardener. I just want to say to you, my friend, you got a story to tell too. Learn your story. Be your story. Share your story. Don't discount your story. Bring your life wisdom into bear and to share it with others. Write it down. Put it on video. Do whatever you need to do. But most of all, share your story. Guess what? Your children... Your grandchildren deserve that, and others do as well. I know that you can do that. 
as part of the process of overcoming adversity is to be a person who chooses to take full responsibility. And part of taking full responsibility is to share our story. I just want to uh, remind you that you can always go to our website, pathwaypromise.com, and find lots of other great stories of great authors and leaders and teachers who bring to bear uh, tips and and uh, processes that you, you can use to overcome adversity in your life. And I hope that you'll go there and check that out. We've got a free gift for you there. I want to leave you with a part of a uh, part of the story, just a bit, uh, one quote from the back cover of John's book. And I just, it just spoke to me about having a purpose. A lot of, one of the things we want to say in our, for our, for our uh, process here is to create a life of peace, prosperity, and purpose. And here's what it says on the back cover of John's book about purpose. Listen carefully. It's the one who lives with purpose and intention, who shows up each day and does the hard task, who seeks satisfaction over pleasure, who strives to make a difference, to make the world a better place, but who, when actions fail to produce impact, will know that failure was never due to partial efforts. Good stuff there. Let's close quote from John's, uh, John Sophoric's book, The Wealthy Gardener. So take care, friends. We're always here to be helpful to you here on the uh, Power Promise podcast. You can go to pathwaypromise.com and see how we can be helpful to, you, helpful to you. My name is Dr. Brad Miller, here to share uh, encouraging words with you uh, each week. So until next time, friends, I want to encourage you to keep your promises because there's power in a promise kept. Thanks so much for taking the Pathway to Promise with Dr. Brad Miller. As a subscriber, you'll be a vital part of the Pathway to Promise community. Visit us on the web at pathwaypromise.com. Until next time, remember to stay on your Pathway to Promise.